All right, back to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're picking up uh, verses 13 through 17 today. Give me a second there. All right, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we hear this passage, and I think some of us probably really struggle with this passage. Um, we have a hard time with our government. Some of us have a hard time with even that idea of uh, being subject or or submitting. And so, Father, uh, we need your Spirit to be at work to instruct us and to make that which is beautiful to you beautiful to us. We need your Spirit to be at work to dispel not just our fears, but uh, perhaps our misunderstandings. That we uh, could walk in a way that uh, pleases you, and a way that brings glory to you. And so uh, work by your Spirit so that we can understand these words. In Jesus' name, amen. The relationship between church and state, for lack of a better term, uh, is one that has uh, evolved in many ways over the course of time. In the days in which this was written, uh, of course, the church was largely persecuted by the state. There was a not-so-good relationship between the two. That continued for centuries, till the time of Constantine, when uh, I'm not really sure about Constantine's conversion and all of that, but uh, on a positive note, he legitimized Christianity as a religion and then later gave it preferential treatment, and that may have been a bad part of it. At some point, it shifts from preferential to now you have the idea of the Holy Roman Empire in which the church is essentially ruling the state. And so everything that once was has now been turned upside down. But things don't stay the same, do they? And good, actually. Uh, for during the Reformation, what ended up happening is uh, while the Holy Roman Empire continued in Roman Catholic regions the, uh, and Protestant regions, the um, state gained the upper hand, so to speak, upon the church And so you had state churches, which presented different problems for people in the church. 
in America here that, that we had this idea of uh, freedom of religion, which in many ways is very good and very positive, but what we're seeing is it's almost like we're going back to the first century church with an increasing reality of persecution. And part of what's going on with that is Christianity, because it was the dominant religion within the United States, is now seen as privileged. And in some ways it was. And we live in a time in which all that was previously privileged is now coming under attack by the elites as not simply privileged, but oppressive. And so, for instance, uh, if we if you pay any attention to what's going on in the news and the hearing, listening to people, um, the church is brought under attack for viewpoints that it holds, whereas other religions hold far more horrible viewpoints on that, or ideas on that point, but are left unscathed. And it goes back to the reality of Christianity as the privileged seemingly oppressive religion within American culture. So I'm not going to... I just say that to understand things, um, not necessarily to go on a rant about that. So uh, don't worry, that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. But I do want to talk about the relationship between church and state because Peter talks about the relationship between church and state. Uh, The big idea this morning is... uh, We are to submit to the government by his power and that this brings God glory in the process. And, uh, that, that takes explaining because that is something that in many ways is foreign to us. It's foreign to our, um, fleshly nature. Let's start with the notion in the first couple verses here that we are to submit to the government because Christ is Lord. That is an important part of this distinction. We submit to the government not because Christ isn't Lord, but precisely because Christ is the Lord. Let's keep in mind that this paragraph is within the context of that honorable conduct that Peter talked about in the previous paragraph. That the ways in which we are, we are called to live before unbelievers, one of which includes our relationship to the government. And what marks this passage and the paragraphs that follow is a key word that we don't like. Be subject to or submit. That's the common theme that flows. We see this here in uh, verse 13. We see it again in verse 18 of the same chapter. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it hits us for a third time. Paul, uh, Peter here is going to be talking a lot about this idea of submission. And we're going to focus primarily on the idea of submission to government this morning, as an aspect of that honorable or commendable or praiseworthy life that Peter is calling these persecuted Christians to live. And so let's keep that in mind. 
These things that he is saying, he's not saying to a, a, a church that enjoys a glorious and friendly relationship with the governing authorities that are around them. They see each other on the street and give each other big hugs and shake hands and wish you well. They are people who are experiencing hardship at the very, at the hands of the very people that Peter is telling them to be subject to. And that is important. He tells them, be subject to every human institution. That idea of being subject has that idea of, of to submit, meaning, uh, or, or yield is another way of putting that, such that it's not your will that dominates, but you are placing yourself under their will to a degree. It can mean to obey. It literally means to arrange under. To, in other words, fall in line might be another way of kind of, of putting this idea. And so Peter is wanting them to fall in line with human institutions. Now, I'm sure this scared them. I'm sure it scares some of you. Not just about government, but that idea of submission, period. Because when we are submitting, no matter to whom we end up submitting or obeying, we are submitting to someone who is a sinner and therefore, in some ways, cannot be trusted. It is to someone who struggles with selfishness, self-glory, the love of self. This is not about finding the, the perfect person that you can submit to. This is about submitting to the very imperfect people that God has placed you under. Society would be chaotic if no one were in charge. There are people in charge and it's already chaotic. <laughs> right? Think of how many people are in prison in the United States today. It's astronomical and mind-boggling in many ways. And that's a rant for a different day. And I'm not up here for rants. But if society has no one in charge, then it's chaotic. It's like a car without a driver. But who is in charge depends upon the particular situation. Imagine for a moment if that you go to dinner this afternoon, not dinner, you go, to, go out to lunch this afternoon, and the waiter tells you what to do. Imagine that for a moment. Mark? I'll pick on Mark today. You're not asking, you know, we all ask a waiter or a waitress sometimes if we're in a new restaurant, well, what's good here? No, no, no. You don't order anything. See, even that, you place an order as that idea of you're in charge of what you eat. But in this particular restaurant, you're told what you're going to eat. Mark, I don't care what's on the menu. You're going to have this. 
And you might not like it, and I don't care, but that's all I'm serving you today. Okay, what kind of restaurant would that be? That's an under, misunderstanding of who is in charge, who is submitting to you, whom in this thing. The waiter or waitress is a servant of the customer who is there to perform the will, unless unreasonable, of the customer. The waiter or waitress submits to the customer. The customer does not submit to the waiter or waitress. And so we see in Scripture that God has appointed particular institutions amongst people. He has appointed them in creation, and some of them he has appointed in his providence, these institutions. And the three primary ones that we talk about are family, work, both of those are creational. We see those in Genesis 2, before the fall, but we also see government emerging as the humanity grows in numbers there needs to be some sanity so we see those three human very human institutions because they govern humans and they are governed by humans and so this submission that he's talking about is with these particular human institutions and we're going to see all three of them boom 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 right here in peter's letter He's going to hit government first, work second, family third. Now, when he says, be subject to these human institutions, he says to, to be subject for the Lord. Now, that has been translated in many cases by this phrase, for the Lord's sake, and that is a legitimate interpretation because it's basically the, the preposition and then the noun, the Lord. Okay, so for the Lord's sake we, is legitimate because we are intended to obey these governmental authorities to, to view to help others view that Jesus is worthy as opposed to unworthy. Because part of the problem that the, the authorities had in that time is that Christianity was seen as a sect of Judaism. The Jews resented the authority of Rome. And we see, of course, the zealots as being the epitome of that. They, they hated the authority of Rome and sought to subvert the authority of Rome. And eventually, shortly after this letter was written, they rebelled against Rome, resulting in the Jewish war uh, that saw the Roman Empire flatten Jerusalem. And so uh, many of the uh, Roman authorities saw Christianity in a similar way to what they saw in terms of Jewish people, they can't be trusted. They're not good citizens of the empire. And so to reveal that Jesus is not here to subvert governmental authority for his sake, submit to these local and uh, empire-wide authorities. We see as well, I think, that this preposition can be interpreted through the Lord. 
not just for his sake, but it could be, and I think this perhaps is a better fit, through the Lord. In other words, the power that this, to submit to these authorities comes from Christ himself. That it is because we are united to Jesus Christ by faith and he dwells in us that we have the capacity as well as the desire to follow this instruction and submit to the authorities above us for the glory of Jesus. That we're able to put aside our agenda, that we're able to put aside our kingdoms in order to submit to this other kingdom that God has instituted. We submit through His power. We submit out of reverence to Him. And so we see, of course, the authority of Jesus in places like 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of those things that's kind of tucked in there. Peter, uh, Paul talks about when the end is going to come, when Jesus delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And that t- tells us that every authority you see right now on earth is temporary. Eventually, Jesus is going to overcome it, but not through your rebellion. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And so Jesus right now is at work putting human authorities under his feet. And we need to be patient. Even though we might find our particular human authority to be difficult. Similarly, we see in Hebrews verse two, uh, sorry, chapter two, verse eight. Now, in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside of Christ's control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to Him. So that idea, of, just as you're submit, you're in sub- subjection to the government now, the government is in subjection to Jesus, whether it recognizes it or whether it doesn't. He will be king. We see as well in Ephesians 5 this idea that when, when uh, Peter... Uh, I always get Peter and Paul messed up when I get to these particular passages. It messes with my head. Paul, in speaking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, says that one of the evidences of that is in verse 21, submitting to one another, that same word, out of reverence or fear for Christ. And so it is because of our reverence for Christ that we actually submit to other human beings. Because we want to please Him. It's not about the person you're submitting to, it's about your relationship with Christ, not your relationship with the authority figure. But we often confuse the things. And so Peter continues. He clarifies these human institutions, and he starts off with whether to the emperor, who is supreme, or to the governor. And so he's talking about Caesar. Nero, at that point in time. Submit to Nero. Okay, for those of you who don't remember... 
Nero was the Caesar who eventually would uh, have Peter killed. He's also the one who had Paul killed. And we saw what Paul wrote in Romans 13, which is almost identical to what Peter writes here. They're on the same page, under the same emperor, at the same period of time, and they're going to be killed by the same emperor in the same period of time. But also the governor. See, Caesar's way out there. He's in Rome. But just as Caesar sent Pontius Pilate to Jerusalem as governor, and Peter, uh, sorry, Jesus recognized the authority, so to speak, of Pontius Pilate and suffered under Pontius Pilate, even while he said, you only have authority that's been given to you. It's the local authority that is the one who most often makes our life difficult. Because it's the local authority who interprets the commands of Caesar and chooses to either implement or not implement. He's the one who actually... Uh, slaps you around, throws you in jail, takes your life. And so whether it's the highest authority or the lowest authority, Peter is saying to them, submit to them. Again, Paul, Titus 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now, why, on another level, are they supposed to submit to the emperor and submit to the governor? Because their role is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so on the one hand, the, the government exists to punish evildoers. And so you don't want to be... Uh, remember last week we talked about the, uh, the battle within and the battle without... Okay, the, the, the struggle we have with our own sin as well as the struggle we have with unbelieving society. And when you lose the battle within, what ends up happening is, is you, you commit a crime that is worthy of punishment by the government. And so they have the power of the sword for that very thing, and you come under the judgment of the government. But Peter here also notes, along with Paul, that they are to praise or commend the one who does good. And so Nathan Warner had to subject himself to being commended yesterday by an authority that said that he and his group had were heroes. They were doing good. They are doing their job in keeping uh, cr criminals at bay. That's a proper function of human authorities. Not just to say you're wrong, but also you're right. And sometimes we lose track of that. But we do see things like uh, the Presidential Freedom Award, Freedom Medal, and things like this. There are occasions this happens. But we see here that God uses the human institution of government to accomplish this purpose of punishing those who do evil. We see in the, in the Old Testament, for, you know, for instance, in Isaiah 10, that God used the nations of Assyria, and then later he would use Babylon as instruments of his punishment against his covenant people because they had broken 
the covenant. And then in the interesting twist, God then holds Assyria and Babylon accountable for the ways in which they sinfully went about God's purpose and plan. That's another sermon for another day. But Jesus, our King, has established government, and so we submit to it it for Him. Secondly, and I'm going much slower than I anticipated, submit to the government to silence foolish accusations. The non-Christians generally were suspicious of Christianity, as I mentioned, because of this Jewish root, this Jewish root that they had. They kind of lumped them into the same thing, the same batch, the same basket. And so uh, many of the people around them were wondering if Christianity would try to overthrow or subvert the social order. And usually when you are suspicious of someone, whatever they do gets put through the suspicious lens. And so it looks far more nefarious than it really is. And the early church was uh, was subject to that. They were accused of many things we talked about last week that were not true because people were misinterpreting that which they did. And yet, Peter here says again, for this is the will of God. Do you want to know the will of God? Part of the will of God is that you submit to the human institutions He has placed above you. His will is not that you rebel. It is not that the church rise up in a a militant sort of way with guns and knives, but the church rises up with the gospel. But the church is generally supposed to live in subjection to the state in state affairs, which is why we are called fervently in First Timothy 2 to pray for the king and for all authorities. But Peter moves to why this is important. Why is it important that we follow the will of God here? And it is to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Because we understand, of course, that outside of Christ, all people are to a degree foolish because their understanding has been darkened. They misinterpret things. We still do too, right? Okay? But their understanding has been darkened in many ways. And so when it comes to matters of faith, they are often foolish. And so foolish people don't understand some of our choices or values. I'm glad I'm not Mike Pence this week. Because Mike Pence has taken a beating in the press for following what's called the Billy Graham rule. I will say for the record, I am not a proponent of the Billy Graham rule. Okay? For those of you who don't know what it is, basically is a man, a married man is never to be alone with a woman that he's not related to by marriage or blood. Okay? If I followed the Billy Graham rule, there's some of you that may have been stranded overnight outside of an establishment because your car wasn't working. Sorry, you ain't my wife. Have a nice night. There's no place for mercy with that. Okay? 
But what I see is, is that often people are in, interpreting that rule through a, a lens that probably Mike Pence doesn't have. If that rule was about the wickedness of women, I would say, you know, that's not so good. Because I don't want a man to always worry about that foul temptress who's going to lead him astray, okay? Because, you know, the problem is his heart, too. There may be foul temptresses about that want to ruin me. I seriously doubt it. But, uh, <clears throat> but if Mike Pence is worried about his own heart with regard to other women, then I say, Mike Pence is probably a very smart guy. Because it's hard not to spend a lot of time alone with a person and develop certain feelings, perhaps. And so he's protecting his wife and his marriage uh, is one way of looking at it. If he's worried about what other people will think, uh, I don't think anyone in the restaurant is going, oh my goodness, there's a government official having lunch with a woman? What's going on there? I don't think anyone saw me driving in a car with a woman who wasn't my wife going, what's he doing with her? Unless, of course, they didn't like me and weren't giving me the benefit of the doubt anyway. And there's, that has happened too. Um, so anyway, sometimes people misinterpret or, or place a spin on our choices and values, and so they attack people. They attack Christians and the church. Some people are foolish and attack us because they consider, um, or rather we consider their actions to be sinful. And so we are increasingly faced with charges of being uh, all different kinds of phobes. You're a phobe. You're a fearful person. You're afraid of sinners. Okay? You're different kinds of sinners. And just get over it. Your foolish people are sometimes threatened by the lordship of Jesus Christ because he is seen as a hard master as opposed to one who is good and gracious. So we see something similar, and that's why I picked Roman, uh, not Romans, Amos chapter 8, where we have Amaziah who is accusing uh, Amos before the king. And Amos was the one who was right. He was falsely being accused of wickedness by the prophet and priest Amaziah, false prophet. Sometimes foolish people project their own sinfulness onto people who are actually trying to do good. They impugn their motives for things because that's what impure people do. To the impure, all things are impure. And so if you're doing that, you must be doing it for the wrong reason, not because you're actually a, a decent, upstanding person in whom the grace of God is at work through the power of Christ. Foolish people can often confuse the role of the state and the role of church. The church. This happens all the time, particularly now that we see a, an eclipse of the, of the standing of the church. People are expecting the government to do things that have been appropriately given to the church. And so, because you want the church to do it, you're a cold, cruel person because you're not to doing those functions in the way that they think, which is the state does it. 
the state does welfare, the state does these sorts of things, as opposed to the church. And so there's a difference of who should do it, not that it should be done. But the worst possible motives are sometimes placed upon people. And I, if I'm doing the worst possible motives now, I ask for forgiveness. But because sometimes there are people who do evil, people who do evil in the name of Jesus Christ, and they give credence to those who are against us. Some of you might remember the name Paul Hill. Paul Hill went to RTS Jackson. Paul Hill was for a time uh, an ordained PCA minister. He later was an ordained OPC minister. Okay. Paul Hill was uh, later excommunicated from his denomination because of his words about abortion. We were okay with the fact that he was against abortion, but they were not okay with the way in which he wanted to express that. A way that eventually led him, an excommunicated man, to kill a doctor and his bodyguard, for which Paul Hill got the death sentence which was uh, executed in 2003. But when they hear us talking about being pro-life, they don't think about kindly people who want to pray for people on the sidewalk. They think Paul Hill. They think murderer. His sin, because... He's taking the role of the government by bearing the sword. His sin has lent credence to the false accusations of people against us. And so we have to be aware of that. That, ha- that there's a reason for these accusations at points. But we are to submit. Is if we simply disagree with the law, and there's plenty of laws I disagree with, we are still to submit to them. Because foolish people can make foolish laws. And sometimes we just have to bite our tongue and roll with it. There can be laws that we find to be immoral, and still we submit to the government. Where we don't submit is if the government is requiring us, ourselves, to do something that is immoral or something that is prohibited, from the, by the law of God, or commanded for us to do by the law of God. And so the apostles were right to say we in Acts, we will obey God, not man. We're going to continue to preach the gospel, even though you, the government, tell us to shut up. That is a proper lack of submission to the government. And they also took the penalty for that lack of submission to the government. Right? We've seen people in various forms, various places, um, say no to what they see as government intrusion and how they do their business, and they've suffered consequences for that. But we have to be very careful that we're not jumping to the place of disobedience too soon. Daniel, for instance, in chapter 1, 
didn't want to defile himself. And so instead of staging a protest or a riot, what he did was he asked permission. And he was granted permission. Later on in Daniel's life, he didn't have that opportunity to ask permission. He was told that he was supposed to pray only to the uh, the emperor for a period of time, and he continued in his practice of praying to God. And he got thrown in the lion's den. And thankfully for him, God preserved him through that. And so our submission to the government is intended to silence the accusations of the ignorant. Thirdly, hopefully shorterly, submit to the government because Christ has set you free. Peter reminds them that they are to live as people who are free. They're not in bondage to the government. They're not in bondage to their sin because Jesus has set them free. And so we're no longer to obey these impulses, these rebellious impulses that are part of our sinful nature. We are to remember that we have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are to remember that Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them through the cross. Which remember that. We're free people. He's freed us from the fear of man so that we can live not as our own kings, but so that we can live as God's servants or bondservants or slaves, as the word can mean. And so we're to live as people who are free, and he qualifies it again, not as a cover-up for evil. See, some people use their freedom to cover up sin. We are not free to sin in Christ's kingdom. And so we are not to abuse the freedom that we have by using that as a justification for pursuing sinful courses of action. But I think part of what's going on here as well is that idea of the commendation that happens to the good, that there are some people who kind of use charity in order to cover their evil. They have the public persona as the charitable person, but they're actually working to pursue sin in many other ways. But, man, they've got to be a good person because they give so much to charity. I won't name any names. I'll just remind you of the Godfather. Michael Corleone, what did he do? He gave lots of money to the Roman Catholic Church. So he's on all the papers with the big check that he's giving to the church. He's a good man. He's a businessman. Well, at the very same time, his soldiers are out killing his enemies on the streets. So Paul says, you are not, you are called to freedom, brothers. Not only, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then he ends, Peter ends this paragraph with this rapid fire, four commands in a row. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Uh, This is a sermon in and of itself, but I don't want to take forever in a day. Uh, in First Peter, um, 
And he's reflecting what we see in other places, like Proverbs 24, My son, fear the, king, fear the Lord and the king, who, and do not, let, uh, do not join with those who do otherwise. Romans 12, Paul says something similar. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so because other people are made in the image of God, we owe them a degree of honor, even though they may be dishonorable in certain ways. And so honor everybody. Pay them the honor that is due because of their position and because of the image of God within them. But he ups the ante when it comes to the church, the brotherhood. He says, don't just honor them, love them. Pour out love on them. Then he talks about God. Fear God. Reverence God. None of this is possible unless you have that kind of relationship with God where it's His opinion that matters more than anyone else's opinion. And then honor the king. Because you fear God, honor the king. And so, in Christ's kingdom, in Christ's church, there's no room for not my president. There's no place for that. Because it doesn't matter whether you voted for a particular person, they are the president. Doesn't matter whether you like them or not, they are your president. This is true whether you're conservative or you're not. I remember in the 1992 election, it was my uh, second year in seminary, and because I was in seminary, I had like, you know, the three channels, didn't have cable. Didn't really know all that much that was going on. Just listened to a little bit of talk radio, but not much because I pulled the radio out of my car, so I didn't know what was going on. I, of course, knew the election results with, with uh, in surprising fashion. Bill Clinton won. We showed up on campus the next day, and someone overnight had put these signs all over the campus saying, Honor the King. Because they knew there were a lot of un- unhappy people on campus the next day. And we were supposed to honor Bill Clinton because Bill Clinton was the president. Not go, not my prez. Didn't vote for him. All right. The Christians of Peter's day were often suspicious of a government that was suspicious of them. Nero, who was the emperor, when Paul wrote wrote Romans and when Peter wrote this letter, is the one who blamed the fire in Rome on the Christians, and he eventually had both Peter and Paul put to death as criminals and rebels. Yet, both these men called for Christians to submit to government unless it commanded them to break God's law or commandments. And so we submit to the government in order to bring glory to Christ as our Savior and Lord. We submit in the power of the indwelling Christ. We refuse to use our Christian faith as a cover for our own sin and rebellion. We are freed by Christ's great work of our salvation to be committed to His service and not our own. And that is where I leave you until after 
Resurrection Day and after yeah, after Resurrection Day, after Presbytery. We'll pick this back up and talk about this continuing reality of submission. Let's pray. Father, we struggle, as I said, with this reality of submission. We struggle with our relationship with the state because, well, we have minds and we have wills and there's sometimes it cross purposes with what we uh, read about in the news or hear about on the radio. And sometimes governments do really dumb things and sometimes they do really bad things. But Father, we are not um, an ultimate judgment over them. You are. And so help us to better understand our relationship. Help us to, to better understand the realities of um, Christ in us overcoming the desires of the flesh so that we live a commendable life and not a life worthy of ridicule and scorn in the presence of unbelievers. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.